Let's hear our Father's word. So let's stand in honor of him and to hear what he might say to us from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Let us remember that we are hearing the word of God. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century French mathematician. You may know he was also a physicist, an inventor, an author, but mostly he is known because he was probably the most influential mathematician of the 17th century world. And I think that's that fact, that he was a mathematician, very interested in this world and in numbers and so forth and theory, uh, surprises people when one day... In 1654, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, met God. It was a turning point. He never forgot it. He wrote down what he could remember of that experience. He sewed it into the lining of his coat. No one knew it was there until he died, and then they saw a slit and they pulled it out. And it's sometimes been called Pascal's Night of Fire his memoriam, and here is just a part of what he wrote. 
the year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 to half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, the world forgotten and everything except God. You can only be found by the ways taught in the gospel. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is life eternal, that I may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, total submission to Jesus Christ, everlasting joy in return for one day's surrender on earth. I will not forget your word. Tell you what happened to Pascal that night is what I sometimes call a burning bush moment. You'll see on the worship folder, I've I've even called it a sur moment. It's a Hebrew word that I'll get to in just a little while. And the thing is, today, as we come to the third message in our uh, Turning Point series, one of the things I've tried to say over the first two weeks is that God is a very personal God. He knows us. We get to know Him as Father. We can even call Him Abba. And so the way that God breaks into our lives and deals with us is so personal to us. So do you remember the way He dealt with Abraham with that big bombastic way in in Genesis chapter 15 was so different from the way He dealt with Sarah when she was age 90, so gentle when He dealt with her. So God deals with us not in a cookie-cutter approach but out of a personal relationship. Don't you love that? And yet, as I've been looking and getting ready for this series of messages and looking at all of these times that God broke into people's lives, even though each one of them is different, There are a couple of things that seem to be true of each situation, common to each one of those. And I thought if we can pull those out on one Sunday, this Sunday, maybe you and I can identify when it is that the Lord is wanting to say something to us and how we should respond. Uh, We're going to look at perhaps maybe the best known of all the turning points, uh, the burning bush story that I've just read to us, found in Exodus chapter 3. And there are some parts of that that are absolutely unique to Moses. I mean, there are some miraculous elements there. Uh, I haven't seen a bush that's burning that's not consumed. Have you? Maybe some of you have. You don't have any others of them in the Old Testament. So that's something that's unique, the way that God was dealing with Moses. But but I've been able to pull out at least two common elements. And and I'm praying that as I talk about them, you can think about, has, has God been trying to get my attention? So I want you to be very attentive to the ways that it seems that God breaks into people's lives. Are you ready? Characteristic number one. When we meet God, it is almost always, and I think you can take the word almost out, it is always a disruptive event. But when he disrupts us, you and I have to stop long enough to listen so that we might know who he is and what he would have us to do. God disrupted Moses and he said, I will turn aside to see this strange sight. 
A point I want to make, Exodus chapter 3. Moses doesn't just go out one morning and say, you know, I've gotten to the place where I should probably go searching for God. Instead, he's just doing what he does every day. It happens in the normal course of life. And the Hebrew word that is used, and it's found twice, once in verse 3 and once in verse 4, translated in some of our versions, turn aside. It's it's sur or asura. And it's a very strong word. It, It means to abandon, intentionally abandon, a path that we've been going. To turn away from it. So what we see is one day Moses was just doing what he did every day. He was tending his father-in-law's sheep. He wasn't expecting anything to change. Walking down the path, then blam, God breaks in. So that, that's, that's what happens. That God brings something into our lives that, that should make us have to stop for a moment and say, is the way that I'm living the way I've been made to live? Is what I'm, the way I look at the world actually the way that God would have me to look at the world? And, and what it was in Moses' life was, was that bush that was burning that wasn't consumed. And, and Moses could have just said, oh, well, I don't have time to do that. I've got to get with these sheep. But he makes an intentional decision to turn aside, sewer, to turn aside. And that's when God, seeing that he was willing to stop and turn aside, breaks into his life and speaks to him. I'll tell you so many times it's that sort of a time where we stop to ask some big questions that we begin to have a true walk with the living God. I know that that's been true in my own life, even in the deepening of my own life. But as long as we just keep going the way we always go, you know, staying in our comfort zones, doing what we do every day, ignoring that there's more to live for than we have found, we often will not turn aside to listen to God. You you know how it is. Sometimes there are those times in our lives when we get really frustrated. Oh, We get mad at work. We say, why am I doing all this stuff? Anybody ever thought that way? What's all this about? And the moment we start thinking about those big purpose in life questions, then somebody comes alongside, you want to go go grab a cup of coffee? Sure, we say. And the big question goes out of our head. I I just want you to know that God is is seeking us. And I, I really believe that often when we come into church, he's wanting to speak into our lives. But you and I have to be ready to turn aside and take time to listen. C.S. Lewis knew about this. Have you ever read his book, uh, Screw Tape Letters? Such a strange but uh, wonderful little book. It's really a, a series of articles he wrote for a newspaper. And in one of the earliest ones, he was talking about this screw tape was sort of a senior devil whose assignment was to keep his patients, that's people like you and me, <laughs> from turning to God. And then he, he was training his junior nephew, junior devil, Wormwood, in how to go about this. And, and Wormwood was running into trouble with one of his patients because that patient was starting to ask them big questions about what's happening in this world and where life heads and all of that. And, and, and Screwtape would say, you've got to get them to stop thinking about that. The moment people ask the big questions of life, they're getting into the enemy's territory, which is God's territory. As long as we can keep people just fixated on temporary material things then they'll never turn to God. And so he said, I'll just tell you one illustration. One time one of my patients was starting to ask some of these big questions about God and life after death and all those sorts of things, and I was able to somehow get him to start thinking it's getting close to lunchtime. And aren't you feeling a little bit hungry? And you know what you should do? You should just go off to lunch, 
get yourself settled, and then come back with fresh mind to deal with these big questions. And so he did. And the questions went out of his mind, and he didn't come back to them for a long, long time. See, the point that Lewis is making is you and I are material creatures. We get so consumed by our busyness or, or we're just not interested in eternal things or just becoming successful or whatever we get consumed with. And even though God may be breaking in, we don't want to take the time to stop. To say, God, are you there? And what are you saying to me? And I think we all need sur moments, burning bush moments, turning aside moments to meet God, and even for all of us who have been walking with God for a while, to grow deeper in our walk with God and to learn something more about God. We so many times put Him in a box. Let me tell you, there is more to know and to love about God than any one of us in this place has ever known. Just mark it down. Have you ever had a burning bush experience? Two? Two people? All right. Um, Maybe I better tell you what I think of as a burning bush experience. Uh, Burning bush, the way I'm trying to talk to you about it, it's something that contradicts the ordinary view of the world that we have. So we we think something like this. Um, I believe this, and since I believe this, then that cannot happen. I believe this, because I believe this, then that cannot happen. And then, lo and behold, that happens. And it makes us come all the way back to say, what do I believe? And is it right? Does it, is it comprehensive enough to explain the world that I live in? I'll tell you, this is one of the things that led Dr. Steve Cunningham from our church to the Lord. You know, Steve is a scientist, scientist. He was in the astronaut program. One of my first times here, he, he's one of our prayer leaders on Saturday nights. One of the first times I was with him, I was holding his hand, praying, and I knew he was a scientist. And this man really believed that God was there and did amazing things. And at the end of the prayer, I turned to him and I said, how did you get to be you? I remember saying that to him. He said, "You you must mean that I believe in miracles. Well, it's an easy answer. I've seen them. That's all he said. That's all he said. Then he went on and he said, yes, in all of my training as a scientist, I was taught that miracles don't happen. And then miracles happened. And I had to take time not to ignore them or just explain them away, but actually to look in. And I began to realize that the worldview that I had and that I'd been taught isn't comprehensive enough to explain the world that God has put me in. See, that's, that's a burning bush experience. And we need them because you and I just don't wake up in the morning and say, oh man, you know, I'm 30 years old next week. Maybe I should start searching for God. No, it's God who has to break into our lives. And I'll tell you, he does. And I'm praying that we're going to have the eyes to see them. Now, what, are my talk- what kinds of things are burning bushes? So, th- Because I want you to, b- to have eyes to see them, I've been trying to think through what they might be. Yes, sometimes it's a miracle, like happened with Moses, like happened with Dr. Cunningham. But I found that sometimes God makes himself known in other ways. And l- l- Let me give to you a few of those ways and see if perhaps God might be saying something to you. Uh, one way that I think that God is letting us know that he's there and wants us to turn aside, is that he brings into our lives what I'll call paradigm-breaking people. People who are just different from others that you meet. And then you find out that their life is being transformed by God himself, by the power of Christ. I was saying when we had the uh, InterVarsity group here, 
of all the students that I've had the chance to meet who have given their lives to Christ, that the thing that brought the most students that I know about is that they met someone sometime in their life, a person who really loved them and forgave them, uh, never gave up on them, often gave them a second chance when nobody else had. I guess I thought about this because I, th- I think about this one uh, woman student at Princeton University. I'd, I'd been speaking at the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship there and been talking, how did you come to faith in Christ? And she said, well, it was a public school teacher. And she had caught me really messing up. And yes, she held me accountable for what I had done, but she didn't give up on me. She gave me another chance. She, she forgave me. She walked with me. She helped me. And so one day after class, I stayed for a while, and I said, I've never met anybody uh, like you. Why, why do you do this for me? And she said, it's, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus. And the student told her, I've always thought churchgoers were critical and negative and self-righteous. But the teacher said, well, Jesus knows me, and he forgives me, and he gives me a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. He never gives up on me. So I, I just consider it a privilege in the name of him to do the same thing for you. I'll tell you, it blew the mind of the student. She had to rethink what she'd been thinking about people. And eventually God used that paradigm-breaking person to bring her to Jesus. Has he brought anybody like that into your life? And don't you pray that each one of us here will be that kind of person to someone else. We, We need to have people look at us and know that even though we're not perfect, we don't try to pretend we're more than we are, that he is at work and that he changes things. Uh, A second second burning bush that I think of is is haunting questions. Those, Those haunting questions that lead us, like with Dr. Cunningham, but lead us to conclude that what we believe about the world doesn't answer all of the issues of life, you know, the big questions. And here I began thinking about Min Shigematsu. Do you know Min uh, when I first met her, she was Min Lee, and then she came to Lake Avenue Church and met John Shigematsu and got a b- much longer name. Well, Min grew up in, in China, and she was always uh, uh, obsessed with, I guess almost, the, what I call the causation question. Or what caused all this? She would ask her mom, she'd say, Mom, I know I came from you, and you came from Grandma, and Grandma, I came from Grandma's Grandma, or however. She said, but eventually, how did all this start? And her mom just... Didn't know how to answer that. But Min was never satisfied. That question, that haunting question, was always in the depths of her being. And she asked it all the way through school until she eventually went to the university and was asking it there too. Uh, in this mostly atheistic setting. When another student, who she found out later was a believer, handed her one day a brown paper bag. And she said, read this. It speaks to your question. So Min took that opened up that book, and you know how it begins. In the beginning, God created. She, she was captured. Uh, she read and read and read until eventually she came to know the one through whom all of us are created. See, haunting questions, the burning bush. We've got to take time to ask it. We can't give it up, but it will lead us ultimately. The ultimate questions lead us to the ultimate God. So haunting... Uh, Paradigm-breaking people, haunting questions. Third, unmanageable trouble. And as long as we're in control of everything, we just go our own ways. So if you're going through some big-time trouble, why don't you turn to God really quickly? 
Because sometimes, as long as we think we can control and manage everything, we'll never turn to him. Now, I've thought about the many people I've talked to here in Southern California. So many people move here to Southern California, and so many of you came for the same reason, to, uh, to try to get into the entertainment industry. You know I like to talk with people. So many times, especially to uh, waiters at tables or people at the coffee shop, they'll, they'll say, well, yeah, I'm here doing this now, but I really came to be a dancer or, or an actor or to be in, in a broadcaster, something like that. But then what happens is usually the people who come have been enormously successful where they've been, and everyone's told them you have all of these gifts, and so they felt like I can control things pretty well, and then you come here to Southern California, and you find out how hard it is and how competitive it is. And then things don't go well. So you have to find a way to survive. Some of you know this story is told a thousand times here, isn't it? And and so uh, you end up maybe waiting tables, but in the last three or four years, there haven't even been any of those jobs. And you begin to realize, I can't control things. There are issues out here that are outside of my wisdom and outside of my knowledge. It's the big question where we begin to seek after the one for whom we were made. And if we will let it, even unmanageable trouble can lead us to life. And then the fourth burning bush that I've thought of, um, maybe the most powerful of all, um, is what I will talk about as an inexplicable emptiness. That sense, and I talk about it here often in sermons, that sense in which you and I know that we were made for something more than what we find in this world. What I see here, and once again, it really, I think, speaks to us where God has put us here in Southern California. We have a a whole group of people that really uh, attain what many people in our world just think that has to be a real life. So they make it to the very top of their profession. They get the Oscar, get the Grammy, sell the most CDs, get a television show. They get what they'd always wanted and what many people think, that's real living. But when they get it, they say, that's it. They wake up the next morning and they're still the same person and yet still empty inside. And in fact, getting that success has created a whole wave of new problems. The media who keeps coming after them and saying untrue things about them and then they have to find life somewhere else. And where do they find? Where do people find it? Often turning to alcohol or, or to gambling or, or, or to drugs. You see what it is? It's a burning bush. You come to a point and God says, there is something more. I am. I am here. I wonder if you've ever had any burning bushes like those. And my message is to you, when you know that there is something more, than you have seen or experienced in him, you've got to take the time to turn aside from what you usually do and listen to the voice of God. Is God saying something to you this morning? Is he reaching out to you? You've just got to stop and hear from him. I'll tell you, even in church, which is a time, I pray every week, is a time when God breaks in and he says something to us. I always say it's, it's a dangerous thing to open this book. It's God's Word, (laughs) and we're accountable to Him to respond to it. But then God speaks to us, and the moment we walk out the door, what happens? Well, what football game is on today? What basketball game? Wow, mind is off there. Or did you really like that style of music today? You know, we're off. We don't hear God's voice anymore. 
We've got to take time to say, Father, what should I do with what I heard? Where would you have me to go? Now I'm going to meddle, especially with some who are mostly those who are a little bit younger. Don't you think that one of the things that keeps us trapped in just everyday living is our smartphones, our communications devices? We can never get a time to turn aside from them. You're smiling, Scott. You're taking notes. I see it down there. I'm trying to convict you right now, Uh, uh, Scott. We've seen that in the Christian college movement, chapel is the time where, uh, you remember I was a Christian college president, we want our students to have a chance to pull away from the pressure of life and just meet with God with no academic expectations. Do you know what's happening in chapels? People are tweeting and texting and evaluating what's going on up there all the time. So instead of being evaluated by God, we become the evaluators and we never, we never have him deal with us. Now that would never have it at Lake Avenue Church, except on the front row, except on the front row. I hope you hear the message today. When you and I meet God, it's almost always a disruptive event. We've got to break from controlling our own ways. We've got to break from just living the way that everybody else lives and stop and listen to what God might have to say. That's the first thing that is just a characteristic of when God breaks into us. Then second, it's only a two-point sermon. You'll be really happy about that, I think. Characteristic number two is when we do meet God, we come into contact with a power we can't manage. And so when he comes into our lives, we have to surrender to him. So Moses turns aside and he goes over and what does he hear? Take off your sandals. Now, if you have your Bibles, there's something that happens between verses 4 and 5 that when you read it, it really is a contradiction. I tried to read it that way when I read it to you, but I didn't think any of you noticed it. It starts there in verse 4 where God speaks to him and he says, Moses, Moses. Now, in Hebrew, which this was written in, when something is doubled like that, it intensifies it so that we talk about a big mountain, but the Bible will say mountain, mountain, hard, hard. And when you take a person's name, Moses, Moses, it's an intensifying it. it it's, it's him saying, I want a personal relationship with you. There's deep emotion when a name is doubled. I, I think the most powerful place I find it in the Bible is when uh, David is mourning his son Absalom. Do you remember that? Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. He longed for him. So here we have God longing to have a relationship with Moses. Moses, Moses, I want to know you. And I want to put your, you to put your name in there. God wants to know you. He loves you. But then the contradiction happens in the very next verse. Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. You see the contradiction there? Moses, come close. No. Don't come close. And this whole thing about him both being holy so that we who are unholy can't come close, but him being a loving father wanting us to draw near keeps going on in this whole text. Take off your sandals. Uh, There are two reasons why people took off sandals in the ancient Near East. Uh, One is to take them off when you go into a person's tent or home. That still happens in many parts of the world. You take off your shoes. And when you're invited, it means you're invited to come in and and belong. But it was also what happened when a, a warrior conquered another warrior. Take off your sandals so that you can't get out of here. 
Because the terrain was so rugged and the deserts were so hot that you couldn't get anywhere without your sandals. So God is saying, I want you to come in and belong, but I'm a holy God and I have to be the one in control. So which one is he, this God? Is he a a holy God who tells us that we as holy people can't come too close? Or is he a loving God who says, I want you to come close? Which one is he? Well, that's the best answer I've gotten. Last night I got the answer yes, which I also really liked. And, and the, uh, the contradiction just keeps going. Um, he turns to Moses and he says, I am the God of your forefathers. And this is holy ground when I am there. And Moses hid his face in terror. And then the very next section from verses 7 through 10. Because I have seen the cries and tribulation of my people. I've seen their sorrows and I'm willing to come down and rescue them and take them to a good land. I'm just telling you, this is the kind of God we believe in. All right, so what does this say to us? I've got to tell you, we dare never forget that God is holy. Uh, He comes down to rescue us, but that means he's got to rescue us from sinfulness. Because we are not holy and perfect in and of ourselves, right? He says, I am a fiery God. And I thought that we in California want a Play-Doh God. See, a Play-Doh, we can shape that thing. And don't tell your grandchildren or children. You can, some people say you can eat it. You can shape it. Well, that's the kind of God we want. Ah, oh, yeah, I'll shape that. I'll make God to be what I want him to be. But fire shapes clay. You don't shape fire. And that's who God is. And I'll tell you, I I think it's this point that keeps many of us in our community from truly turning to God. Uh, I I appreciate so much when I get to talk with people. I think, as a whole, Southern Californians are the most spiritual people I've ever met in this sense. They, They just are wanting to get in tune with the spiritual side of themselves. But when they find out that I'm the pastor of this big church here on the I-210, so many times they say something like this, well, I am interested in spiritual things and I'd like to meet God, but I have this girlfriend, you know, and I don't want to believe in a God who will take me away from my girlfriend. And what does God say? Take off your sandals. It means we've got to surrender to Him. It means we've got to lay down our conditions. It means that when God breaks into our lives and we want to be remade by Him, He will love us and say, I will give you the life that you were made for, but you have to be willing to go wherever I would have you to go. You're going to have to say some things in my name that you might be afraid to say, and you might have to live in a way that you could never have imagined. It will be better than anything you could have ever imagined, but you have to let me be the one who sets the direction. And we have to say, God, if you are this God, if you are real, I am willing to go to the places you send me. I want you to notice, it's not that he says, I will meet you, and then you can decide whether you want to take your sandals off. He says, take your sandals off. I am not only going to come to you, I'm going to use you in ways you could never, never have envisioned. 
But most of us aren't looking for that kind of God. You know what we want? A genie in a lamp. That's what, rub that thing. How can I get, get him to control him, get him to do what I want? Can you imagine if you treated any human being that way, how, how they'd respond? I thought I'd put this into single people who are here, uh, single guys. So I'll tell you. Can you imagine somebody, amen, can you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying something like, like this? You know, I've been watching you and I, th- I think I'd kind of like to go out with you, but for me to be able to go out with you, I have to be able to think of you as a rich and impulsively generous person. That, that's, who, that's who you have to be or this relationship is off. What, what, what would he say? I mean, if has any smarts about him at all. What? I have to be what you're shaping me to be. I can't be who I am. You don't want to get to know me. You want to use me. We could never do that with a person. We'd have no relationships. And yet we try to do that with God. But let me tell you, God will always be who he is. God already is. Look in verse 14 of Exodus 3. Who are you, God? I am who I am. He doesn't say, well, I'll be whoever you want me to be. I am who I am. Take off your shoes. I am ready to give you a life, but you have to let me be the God of your life. So I'm going to tell you, God is ready to say to each one of us who's come to church today, Moses, Moses. Put your name right in there. God speaks to you. Put your name right there. And he says to you, I'm ready to come to you. And, and you might say, as Moses might have said, but wait a minute, God. I have these things in my past. Remember I got angry and murdered a man in Egypt? And God says, you think I don't know about that? I'm ready to forgive you, remake you, and use you. And in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you back to Egypt (laughs) to set my people free. That can't be. I can't do that. Send me somewhere else. But God says, no, take off your sandals, Moses. And God used him. We're having the sermon today, aren't we? To set his people free. But God must be who he is. Let me just end with this. How can God be this kind of God to to us today. A God who first says, I know your sins, so stay away for I am holy. But a God who says, I know you and I love you. Come near to me and I'm ready to come near to you. I know your sin, but I am ready and able to forgive your sin. The sin that you have done, the wrong that you have done must be punished. Yes, because evil can't just be allowed to proliferate. But I'm going to find a way to do that, to forgive you, to come into you and to use you again. Do you see that episodes like this, like the entire Bible, force us to one person, right? They force us to look forward to Jesus. And particularly this text, where we see these two sides of God, force us to look at Jesus on the cross. He was the holy God. In very nature, God. Come down to rescue and save us, and to bring us to a good land. But we are unholy. As Pastor Tim Keller so often says, we are more wicked than we ever dared imagine. I did get two amens. First two I've ever gotten with that statement. 
Though we all know it's true, we are more wicked than we ever dare imagined. But God says, I know that's true. And he came, and there's only one person in this world who ever lived perfectly the life we were created to live, and that was Jesus And so he alone is the one who can take our place and bear the punishment for our sins. And at the end of his life, we see this same holy Jesus dying the death we should have to die. But in our place. Do you remember at his last supper, he would say, this is my body and it is for you. This is my blood. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. Hallelujah. The only way to understand the kind of God that we have in Exodus chapter 3 is to look at the cross, the place where God's love and His holiness meet. Where He can take people like us who are unholy and say, I know all about it and I love you with an everlasting love. I'm ready to throw that sin as far as east is from the west. And I am ready to give myself to you. Take off those sandals and see where I'm going to lead you. And when we feel incompetent, we're ready to be used because he says, I will go with you. I will go with you. In Jesus, we, we see a loving and holy God come down for us. But brothers and sisters, when he speaks to you through this his word, you must allow your life to be disrupted. Turn aside. Take enough time to listen, to say, Father, what would you have me to say? And I will warn you that the first thing that he will say is, take off your sandals. Give up your conditions. Say, I will go wherever you would have me to go. And I will tell you, then real life begins. And we will live to his glory. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.